This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anin, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic health crisis. Today on the show, we know the dangers of commercial tobacco use like smoking cigarettes, lung disease, cancer, and now complications due to COVID-19 are among many. So how is Indian country helping our communities reduce this risk? Today, we hear from three knowledgeable guests. First up, Bobby Eagle is a Mille Lacs Band member and a cultural advisor for the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Health and Human Services Department at Four Winds Treatment Center. Then we'll hear from Madge Ducheneau, who works at the Division of Indian Work in the Youth Leadership Development Program. And then we'll end our time together with Sharon Day. Sharon Day is an elder from the Boys Fort Band of Ojibwe and is the executive director of the Indigenous Peoples Task Force in Minneapolis. All that coming up, but first... There are many intricacies when it comes to the human body, but here's a clip courtesy of Neil Patel, MD, in pulmonary and critical care medicine at the Mayo Clinic, who helps explain why smoking in itself can be so bad when it comes to getting sick. One of the biggest things that smoking does in an active smoker is it destroys the cilia in the lungs and as well as in the nasopharynx. So the cilia are are tiny hair-like follicles that help to trap damaged viruses, uh, debris, and move that debris upwards out of your lungs so it doesn't stay there and cause issues. And so it acts as one of the main defense systems against infection. And so without that, I think smokers unfortunately are a little bit defenseless and it explains a lot of why uh, a smoker who develops a common cold may develop a prolonged cough for, you know, sometimes weeks to months later. And somebody who has a healthy lung uh, may bounce back much more rapidly. There have been and continue to be great resources in our tribal communities to embrace cultural use of tobacco and reduce the use of commercial tobacco. So let's hear from the experts. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. First, I want to take a look at traditional tobacco use versus commercial. Commercial tobacco in many cases has assumed the role of traditional tobacco from smoking to ceremonial use. Here's a conversation I had with Bobby Eagle on how commercial tobacco overall can invite in sickness. Bonjour, Bobby Eagle. Can you please introduce yourself? Sure. My name is uh, Bobby Eagle. I'm a Mille Lacs band member. Uh, I'm a proud father of five children. I work at the, the uh, Four Winds Program Treatment Program in Brainerd, Minnesota. I am a cultural advisor. I've been here for about two and a half years. Uh, I live in the Mille Lacs Band community. I'm pretty active in the community, uh, in the sober community on our reservation, you know, doing different ceremonies like uh, big drum ceremony, sweat lodge ceremony, pretty active in the Madewan ceremony. We're always looking to help people understand who they are, help them find themselves. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. 
Thank you. So today we're talking about cultural tobacco and commercial tobacco. There are a lot of risk factors associated with commercial tobacco use. Could you speak to a bit of your work with cultural tobacco and keeping it traditional or keeping it cultural? Absolutely. We live in two worlds. Um, you know, there's a the spiritual world, a uh, spiritual realm, and also the physical world, uh, which we all can see. Uh, when we when we use that term traditional tobacco, you know, we're talking about a plant. We're talking about the red willow. We're talking about you know, the knick-knick. And that is the, the, the tobacco that we were gifted, as Anishinaabe, to uh, help us communicate with the creator, to, to utilize it in several different ways, uh, which are, you know, we, we utilize it to, to make offerings. Uh, we utilize it to pray. Uh, we utilize it when we go harvesting. We utilize it when we send our relatives off. We utilize it in every ceremony that, that we have. We, we know that, that, that tobacco has a spirit and, and we're, we're consciously contacting our higher power. And, uh, when we're using that tobacco, one of the things that I've learned throughout my life is that when we're using that tobacco, we're asking for things like that. And then um, when I come to find out a lot of stuff about life, that using that commercial tobacco, essentially offering or asking for that sickness within us, we're inviting that sickness in. When, when it comes to the, uh, the COVID sickness, the COVID too has a spirit. This, this is the way I see it, you know, and there's many people out there that see it differently and but this is my point of view on it, that that sickness is out there. And we're, we're disrespecting our sacred tobacco and we're, and we're using it in such a way, you know, essentially we're, we're inviting in other sicknesses. We, we got to be careful of what we're doing like that because, you know, that, that COVID-19 is a spirit as well, you know, and, and we don't want to dabble around with uh, giving it energy and, and in, in fact, possibly inviting it in. As, as, as long as COVID came around, I started to really think about that. And I started to talk about it with some of the other folks, uh, one of the other spiritual advisors that, that uh, works there at Four Winds. He agreed with me that I was on the right track when, when the, with some of the things that I was telling him. And he said, you're absolutely right. You know, we, you know, that, that COVID-19 has a spirit. He said, and any energy that we uh, give it, you know, it's going to grow and uh, come stronger. That really is like really poignant. Like the cultural traditional tobacco as a way of medicine healing as a, as a good medicine. And then the commercial tobacco inviting the sickness in as more of a bad medicine. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know. It takes a lot of work to go out and and, and make knick-knick and to, to go out and harvest our own red willow or dogwood or uh, or even to grow the plants. Uh, a lot of energy goes into that, goes into the creation of that tobacco and to, to harvesting. And, and when we go out and buy the, the commercial tobacco, we're, we're kind of defeating the purpose of putting our energy into that a same month, that tobacco, that harvest, each and everything we do in life is a, a ceremony and everything is about energy. I could pray over a cup of water 
and turn it from from a bad cup of water to good cup of water, you know, and, and just with my energy. And any one of us have that power. Jimmy Gwaitch, Bobby Eagle, thank you so much for talking today. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. And today, how are tribal communities on tribal lands and in urban settings helping reduce the risk associated with commercial tobacco use and COVID-19? Our next guest works at the Division of Indian Work, and part of her work focuses on commercial tobacco use prevention with youth. Hi, Madge. Could you please, for me, introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Madge Dushinal, and I'm a youth worker at the Division of Indian Work in South Minneapolis. How are you holding up through all of these changes right now during the pandemic? I have two daughters that are, well, one just graduated on Sunday. Yesterday. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, and then I have a sophomore, so... Uh, my mom is diabetic and she she already lost the son. So she gets real nervous about her children. And so when this pandemic started, she said, you need to come home. You need to come home. You need to be with us. So I said, all right, I can work online. Um, my kids can go to school online, whatever. So um, I went home. I went home to South Dakota. Oh, wow. And uh, right away, we, you know started with the mask, hand sanitizer and stuff. So we've been really careful about it. We were home in, in Rapid City or outside Rapid City for about six weeks. Uh, and then we came back home. We did okay with our Zoom meetings with our youth. They were they were good logging in and stuff. So that worked out well. But yeah, so now we're trying to slowly uh, get back to normal. Well, not normal, but back to something. We're used to having our kids four days a week and they're used to seeing us beings that we do teach about those four parts, the physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional. I have to make sure that I'm taking my care of myself in that way too, or else I won't be able to um, help teach the youth that part. Great. And I was watching, of course, over the couple of weeks ago um, after George Floyd's murder, the division of Indian work was boarded mm-hmm. up and being protected and all of that stuff, it was really, really such a significant moment to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really glad that everybody's the building's good. And of course, on you know May 25th when that happened to um, to George Floyd, that was a big. Our city just said, "Okay, this that's enough now," and yep. we have every right to be mad about it and talk about it and protest about it, and you know, and it's still going on. So yeah. DIW is right here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad they were able to board up. Some of our staff came and got all the secret items out of here. Even our TP poles that were outside, I was so scared that those were going <laughs> to get used in the wrong manner. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, what happened, too, is that McGizzy moved into their new building right across from the third precinct. Whatever night, the next day after the precinct was burned down and McGizzy burnt down, um, I live near there, so me and my daughters went over there just to help clean up. And um, one of the workers was there, and the medicines did not burn. So there was sage, and there was sweet. They had their four medicines, and they weren't burnt. And to me, I was like, "What in the 
that's why you know that's why they're sacred that's why they're medicine that's why yeah they survived so there's something to that because that whole area now is just floored pretty much and but those medicines were still there so I and yeah yeah, you know all the kids that we serve live south Minneapolis our staff was able to get a hold of kids if they needed stuff and um, everyone was able to deliver items and make sure that our community was taken care of Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for talking about that it's it's hard to talk about one without the other Mm -hmm. the the virus that causes COVID-19 and the virus of white supremacy culture. Very true. Very true. And how did you get into this line of work? What, what makes um, this prevention significant to you? I've been working at DIW. I started a long time ago, like 20 years ago. (laughs) And then I had some kids and then I came back um, almost five years ago. And I just think it's, um, it's really important that our youth are aware of the consequences through the physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional part of their beings, which um, everything that you do affects all four, all four parts of, the, of that life. For us to be able to help them to not get started on any of those things is really important for our community. So I think that's kind of why I enjoy doing that work and also being able to make it fun um, and not just lecturing at kids doing activities where they can see what's act, what actually happens to your body, uh, mind, spirit. And, and when you're speaking on the COVID part, you know, we haven't been able to have our um, classes, you know, everything shut down. So we've been having Zoom meetings like this, but we still are able to have those lessons while everybody's at home. With that, there can become boredom. There can become um, maybe more access to to some of those uh, maybe alcohol or drugs or tobacco, depending on where they're at. Mm-hmm. And um, the alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs can be used as a stress reliever for some and something where because this time has been so stressful, they're trying to trying to access those, those items. And so mm-hmm. being able to have our Zoom meetings and still talk about the effects of these alcohol, tobacco, or drugs, the four parts of being, um, we're able to at least try and keep them aware of that uh, and try and make sure that, you know, they still stay away from it. Great. Yeah. I was wondering, like, what are some of those prevention measures? So education, is there anything else that is um, specific to prevention at DIW? Well, we do rely on the culture is prevention model where we'd rather have them doing other things than getting into those if they're busy doing other things that are more productive for themselves and for for their community um, they're not going to want to get into those things but also they won't have time to get into those things mm-hmm. so when we have our groups twice a week yeah we have the education piece we have the culture piece we have themselves educating their peers to uh, last year we cre- we had a hype grant it was called and through that, the kids, they wrote a script and we, with Magizzi, we partnered with Magizzi and we made a video and it's pretty funny, but it's really good. <laughs> they wanted to show what could happen if you went to a party, what could happen if you have a, what could happen. So, so through them educating their peers, they're teaching too. So that's, that's a big, that's a big piece of it too. Talking the talk and 
walk in the walk for those young people. Mm-hmm. So they put their minds together and came up with something creative to help yeah. teach peers, <laughs> other yeah. youth um, about tobacco prevention. And that's really yeah. wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Madge, for talking with me today. I really appreciate your words and your perspective. I hope you have a great week. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, and today we're exploring how tribal communities are supporting their citizens in reducing the use of commercial tobacco. Now, we have a special conversation with Sharon Day. Sharon is an elder from the Boys Fort Band of Ojibwe, and she is the Executive Director of the Indigenous Peoples Task Force in Minneapolis. They've hosted programs to teach youth and adults about traditional tobacco and to help people quit using commercial tobacco. She recently moved from St. Paul to rural Center City, Minnesota. She spoke with reporter Melissa Townsend about quitting smoking and using tobacco as an offering, or a SEMA, to talk to the spirit of the coronavirus. One of the things we're talking about this week is just these underlying health conditions and how people can start to think about that in a constructive way instead of like a doom and gloom way. You know, that may mean that you decide to give up a habit that's unhealthy, but that has been comforting, particularly in this time of stress and anxiety. And what do you have to face in order to do that? Um, in our community, of course, we have so many of the comorbidity factors. You know, if we were to get the coronavirus, you know, that could have such more difficult implications for the Native population. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't do anything about that. I think it really is an opportunity to become more active to change our eating patterns. I know within my own family, you know, my daughters are older now and one of them is pre-diabetic. And so uh, my oldest daughter walked like three miles every day. And so now my youngest daughter has started walking and has lost, I think like 20 pounds. You know, so just looking at it, not as this doom and gloom and oh, here's another thing, but what can we do to change these things ourselves. And then for the rest of us to be like encouraging, you know, we've been working on tobacco prevention programming for 20 years. And one of our projects 15 years ago was, you know, how do we get the tribal casinos to go smoke free? And, you know, lo and behold, we have Boys Fort, Malak, our smoke free casinos when they open back up because of COVID. I think that's just a really welcome move in our community. And it took COVID, but now they're doing it. And I read that Shakopee also has extended their non-smoking areas, which I think the more places where you can go that are smoke-free, especially, you know, with this pandemic, the better. You know, the more places you go where you're unable to smoke, the more you, you think about it. We talked years ago about Keep Tobacco Sacred uh-huh. or Keep It Sacred, yeah. uh-huh. the campaign. And um, I remember you and I were talking about what it takes to quit smoking. And you said you remember a woman who was in the program who said, these cigarettes are like the lover who never left me. Yeah. And yeah. all these years later, <laughs> I still remember that. Mm-hmm. So you've had experience with this. Tell me a little bit about what you see in terms of what people really have to face 
in order to make that decision to quit something like smoking. I used to smoke and a super good trusted friend of mine said to me, like, I think if you quit smoking, your life will go better. And that's what actually made me decide to quit. Like the hope that giving up this habit that is, you know, will make you sick will sort of in some way just improve your or change your life in a positive direction, you know? And I think that it did, to be perfectly honest. I think if it's not yourself, it has to be something you really care about. For me, I was a smoker, and so I'd quit several times, sometimes for years at a time, sometimes for a year, you know? And uh, in 2000, the health department gave me a contract to work with youth to do smoking prevention. So the day I signed the contract was the day that I quit smoking because how could I work with kids and tell them not to smoke if I was smoking? <laughs> so that was, the, you know, like that was the incentive for me. And I think there really has to be that sense of I need to do this for whatever reason. I remember once there was these two older women in South Dakota. They were sun dancers. They taught at one of the colleges out there and and one of them was married. And just like that, you know, her husband died of a heart attack. And so, you know, these two women who had been lifelong friends looked at each other and said, you know, what are we going to do? And, and and the other one said, I think we need to quit smoking. And they were like two and a half pack a day women, you know? Mm-hmm. So they knew like if they wanted to continue to live and be healthy, that they had to quit smoking. So what they said to me was, so every day we put our tobacco up and we asked to stop smoking. And at the end of 30 days, they were smoke free. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like with this COVID, you know, I was on a call with some women from um, the Eastern part of the United States elders. And uh, when COVID started, they had the call and there were a number of us who sat and listened to them. And they said every day, beginning with the new moon, they were going to make a tobacco tie early in the morning and they were going to do that for 28 days they said you know this virus has a spirit and we have to speak to that spirit and ask for it to go to the outer reaches of the universe or to the depths of the ocean and to leave us alone and I think about that and you know in ceremonies you know both within indigenous communities and other communities we recognize that everything has a spirit and that we need to acknowledge that spirit, but also acknowledge that you are not who we are seeking, you know? So that's what I've been doing too. And uh, continue that until it's gone to the outer reaches of the universe or to the depths of the ocean. So lay down your tobacco or your tobacco tie and say to the spirit of the virus, you are not who we are seeking go to the outer reaches of the universe and the depths of the ocean. That is powerful. And, you know, other simple things that people can do is like get outside, you know, be in the sun, you know, feel those healing rays of the the shamans. You know, we know like that vitamin D is really good for us. The sun also, you know, provides the heat that is cleansing as well. So take some deep breaths, go for a walk, Find ways to be calm. Yeah, take a nice warm bath at the end of the day. You know, when you talked about the elders out east putting out tobacco, making tobacco ties every day, 
It just feels like that could be a source of support, knowing that people are actively asking the spirit of this virus to go somewhere else. Uh, knowing that that's happening in the world could be a real source of comfort. Yes, I think it is. After I, you know, listened to them and communicated with women in my immediate circle and said, you know, this is the message. This is what we need to do. And one of the women um, at the end of 28 days uh, sent me a note and she said, I was so absorbed in like fear of this virus. But after doing this for two weeks, you know, I could not so much fear as much as awe and a relationship. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, I first started working in HIV 30 years ago. A woman, Carol LeFevre, who was one of the first Native women uh, that we worked with, the doctors had told her, you're going to die, you have six weeks to live, go home, take care of things. And um, she called me up and she had a ceremony, a healing ceremony. I was there after four days. And she knew she was going to survive, to live. She crisscrossed the country doing prevention. But what she said was, what I pray for is how I and this virus can cohabitate together. Because if I asked to have this virus be killed, then I would be dead too. And she lived for 25 years after that ceremony. And in fact, when she did walk on, it wasn't as a result of HIV. Wow. So to cohabitate. Yes. Which is kind of what these grandmothers are saying, you know, like, go over here, you know, like, you'll be okay, you know, go to the depths of the ocean. You know, that spirit will be fine in either place. Mm -hmm. Um, But but, uh, humbly asking it to leave us alone. Mm. So it sounds like you're saying humbly ask it to leave us alone. And take some time to think about how you can take care of yourself. Yeah, you know, like finding a time every day to have that stillness. You know, when I first moved out here, I made my grandson drive out every night for the first two weeks. because It was like so dark at night. And yeah, but one night I told him, I said, you know, Kirby, you don't have to drive out tonight. And he said, oh, no, Grandma, I'm going to because just that drive out there is calming for me. It's a way to like settle down, you know, and I think we all need to have that. And that reinforces like everything in our, in our body and our mind and our spirit. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you, Sharon. I appreciate it. Miigwech. Yep. Take care, Melissa. Thank you, Melissa Townsend and Sharon Day for your conversation. And it really means a lot to be entrusted with hearing another person's prayers. Miigwech, Sharon Day. For the gift of your story. Thank you for listening. Changing a habit, big or small, for the better can be very difficult. Trust me, I know. But if we can lean on our relatives and community, and they can lean on us back for support, we can all help one another achieve our goals. And if you're inspired to update your habits and need assistance or support in quitting commercial tobacco use, there's a lot of information out there, including the American Indian Quit Line at 1-833-9-AI-QUIT. The American Indian Quit Line is created in partnership with Native Communities and Quit Partner, which is administered by the Minnesota Department of Health. Thank you. Gwaitch. I'm Leah Lem. 
This Minnesota Native News COVID-19 Daily Update is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.